Usually, it's the parents that have the opportunity to choose the name of their baby. Sometimes the mother chooses, sometimes the father chooses, and sometimes they have to kind of work that out as to what the uh, child's name is going to be. This past week, my daughter Suki gave birth to a child. They didn't know ahead of time as to what the sex of the child was going to be, so they had both girls' names and boys' names picked out. And uh, they shared with us what some of those names were and uh, how Matt had some favorite names and how Suki had some favorite names. And they ended up calling him Ephraim, E-P-H-R-E-M, Ephraim. And uh, so I said, well, you know, why not Calvin? No, I, I, that would have obviously been the smart choice, but... but uh, but they decided to name him Ephraim. And I said, you know, why Ephraim? And he said, don't you know? And I said, no, I don't. He said, well, he was a theologian in the 300s of the Syrian church, uh, known for his uh, hymnody, uh, writing many, many hymns. And uh, so he, uh, he was named after Ephraim, Ephraim, this hymnologist. Uh, names can be important. And people choose those names for specific reasons. In our text, it's God who chooses to name the baby. It is God who chooses the name Jesus. And God, through an angel, reveals that to Mary and to Joseph on separate occasions. Uh, first, it's revealed to Mary in Luke chapter 131. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. You shall call him Jesus. Then in our text this morning, an angel says to Joseph in verse 21 of chapter 1, And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Our key verse this morning is, in fact, verse 21. In fact, I'm not really going to deal with the the context. I want to focus just on that particular verse. And the idea is that he shall be called Jesus, for he shall save or deliver his people from their sins. That's what the word Jesus means. It's Greek for Savior or for Deliverer. So this morning, I just want to spend some time thinking with you as to the significance of Jesus being the Savior, the Savior. So we begin by asking us, what is he a Savior from? And notice it tells us in the text, for he will save his people from their sins, from their sins. So what are sins? Sin stems from a failure to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and a failure to love others the way that we love ourselves. At the very heart or core of uh, sin is selfishness or self-centeredness. 
It's living our lives for ourselves rather than living our lives for the honor and glory of God and the betterment of others. It is making ourselves the center of the universe. When Jesus was asked the question by the Pharisees, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said this. He said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he went on to say this. (coughs) (coughs) On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments, everything else in the Old Testament rests, Jesus said. All of the scriptures is a further explanation of what it means to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and what it means to love others the way that we love ourselves. As we think of the commandments of Scripture, such as, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet. All of those things are part of that self-centeredness of not concerned about how these actions have a negative impact on on other people. So the commandments flesh out for us what these sins look like of putting ourselves before others and our interests before God's interests. So it is those things that we need to be saved from, as our texts say. So then we ask the question, Why do we need to be saved or delivered from our sins? The answer is there are consequences to our sinful disobedience. There is shame and loneliness and punishment just to name a few. And that really is just naming a few. If we would look at the Old Testament, and if we went back to Genesis in chapter 1, where Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the garden of good and evil... All kinds of consequences came as a result. Consequences even for the earth. There were going to be thorns. Uh, there were going to be pollution. There was going to be all kinds of heartache for the earth. And then the relationships between them weren't going to be right. And then they have children and Cain uh, rises up and kills Abel. And all kinds of, of things happen as a result of Sin. Sin. Because of our sin, our relationship to others are filled with heartache and misery. Because of that self-centeredness, because of that lack of concern for other people, our relationships get to be really skewed. And there's a lot of pain and misery and suffering in this world. And there are people that rob from each other. There are people that steal. There are people, of course, that mug and and, uh, rape and do all kinds of hideous things all stemming from the same heart of self-centeredness. Another consequence to sin is that when we die, we are permanently separated from God. In 2 Thessalonians 1.9 it says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. It means when we die, we're not going to be in heaven. We're not going to be in his presence. 
We're not going to enjoy peace with God for eternity. In fact, we're going to know a miserable and, and uh, despicable uh, future uh, away from God in great torment and, and agony. But, uh, and at death we are permanently separated from God's people. Luke 16.26 says, And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from here to us. Talking about the divide that exists from those that are in the presence of God from those that are not. But the good news is, is that God in his love and mercy reaches out to us. He did this by sending his son into the world. Uh, many of you know the verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is what we're talking about this morning. This is the, the birth of Jesus. God sending his son into the world. The reason that God sent his son into the world is told to us in Galatians 4, 4, and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law that we might experience the forgiveness of sins. To take our sins away. He invites us to have a new relationship to himself. A relationship that the Bible likens unto a wholesome relationship between a father and a child. In this relationship, God loves us, cares, and provides for us, and we seek to love, honor, and be obedient to him. In John 1.12, it tells us that uh, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. To have this unique relationship to God where he loves, cares, and provides for us. And we, in turn, seek to love, honor, and be obedient to him as a child uh, to uh, a father. It also results in a new relationship with God's people. We are now brothers and sisters in Christ. We're viewed as a, a family John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. So there's a unique relationship that we're brought into, uh, unifying us with all those that place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. How does Jesus save us from our sins? Well, the answer is that Jesus provided us with the righteousness that we lacked. Jesus in absolute love for God and for us, unselfishly thought not of himself, but voluntarily experienced the consequences of our sinfulness through his life and death on the cross. Uh, it was just uh, two weeks ago that we were in Philippians chapter 2, where it said, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It's that selflessness of which he was willing to give up all things in order to save us. He bore all the consequences of our sin. All the penalty, if you will. All the misery, all the, all the agony. All the things we talked about. Shame. Uh, he bore our shame when he died nakedly on the cross. And Hebrews tells us that he despised the shame of the cross. We talked about forsakenness. He was forsaken by God. Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, 
saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We talked about the fact that sin breaks relationships with human beings and sometimes results in forsakenness. And Jesus was forsaken not only by God, but by others. Isaiah 53, 3 states, he was despised and rejected or forsaken by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus suffered the full punishment that our sin deserved. Isaiah 53, 4 says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. When people saw Jesus hanging on the cross, they knew that something tremendously wrong had just taken place. They knew that it was a terrible thing that had happened. The outward signs were unmistakable that God was displeased. There was a... uh, Total darkness that that came over the the area. There was an earthquake. There was trembling. There were all kinds of things taking place. And Isaiah tells us that the people, the crowd, assumed that that meant that God was displeased with Jesus. Because they could perceive that God's wrath was being poured upon Jesus. But the scripture says, but it wasn't for what he had done. It was for what we had done. He bore God's wrath in our Place. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. All this was accomplished so that we could have an entirely new relationship to God and to others. We have a new relationship with God when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Romans 5 says this, For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We are reconciled with God, no longer enemies, friends, children of God. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this, And he died for all, That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So that we no longer live to ourselves, this self-centered, selfish life, but rather live unto him. And we have a new relationship to others. Ephesians 2.19 So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The good news is that Jesus conquered sin and death by physically rising from the dead. He ascended into heaven and was welcomed in the very presence of God the Father. In trusting in what God has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection, we experience complete forgiveness from God. Our relationships are transformed. We enjoy a never-ending fellowship with God both in this life and for all eternity future. John 17.3 says, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. We have a never-ending fellowship with God forever. Instead of the selfishness that once ruled our hearts, we now seek to honor and serve God and to be a blessing to others. In short, we extend to others the love 
and forgiveness that we ourselves have experienced from God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of God, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Reconciliation is a very important word in the scriptures. It's a word that we don't use an awful lot, but we sometimes talk about couples that are going through hard and difficult times, maybe contemplating divorce, of just separating and going their own ways, but sometimes they're reconciled, which means they come back together. It means they don't divorce, and they commit themselves to each other once again, uh, committing to uh, honor each other and, and to serve each other and to love each other. It is the word that the scripture loves to use in talking about our relationship to God before we were enemies with God. We were separated from God. We were going to spend an eternity away from God's presence. But in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled to God. Things can be made right. We can be brought back into a relationship with God. We don't have to be divorced from him, as it were. But we can be forgiven. And we can enjoy a fellowship with him forever and ever. The scripture says that he saved us from our sins. He saved us from our sins. Uh, that's more than simply saving us out of our sins. Uh, the book of Romans says that uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's in our sin that he saves us. But he saved us to remove that sin, to take it away from us. Not just the penalty of sin, but the very power of sin over our lives, the very presence of sin. One day, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return just as the choir sang. And I was so thankful for that song that they sang. I love that aspect of the Christmas message, which not always is emphasized. And that is that the Lord is coming back. And part of that salvation is that uh, as uh, the great hymn, Joy to the World, and I really toyed with singing that. We're going to sing it tonight. So I decided we won't sing it twice. But I love that hymn. And I love it because it says that uh, as, far as, the earth, as far as the curse is found, meaning that every aspect of sin's curse, every shade of nuance, every difficulty that has come about because of sin is one day going to be removed. Even the pollution of this earth, even the the thorns, everything that's described is going to be made right. And we're going to be able to enjoy his presence forever and ever in eternity. The Christmas message is to receive the forgiveness of sins and to be reconciled with God and our fellow believers. It is that a Savior is born. That is the
the crux. That is the heart. That is the key to what Christmas is. It's the celebration of the birth of a Savior. And so the logical question to ask this morning is, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you trusted in him for the forgiveness of sins? Nothing else can take away your sin. Not your good deeds. You can't make up for what you have done. Not all the penitents, not uh, trying to do certain things. It's not about being baptized. It's not about giving money to the church. There is nothing that can take away your sins other than faith in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to take away our sins. It's faith in Jesus' death and resurrection and that alone that can take away our sins. But if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have never gotten to that place where you say, yes, I'm a sinner, I've done things wrong, I haven't loved God the way I should, I haven't loved my fellow man the way I should, I know I do these things, I know I I lie, I know that uh, I have ill thoughts about other people, I, I know I have a temper, all these things. If you've never said, God forgive me, you need to. And the basis on which he forgives you is the fact that Jesus Christ paid the price of all our sin. All the shame, all the heartache, all the misery, all the wrath of God, every ounce of the consequences that sin brings, he paid the complete penalty. So my thought to you this morning is very simple. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? I'm going to close in in prayer. And I'm going to do something that I don't usually do this morning. And that is I'm going to offer a prayer. And if you this morning want to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. After me, let me lead you and, and encourage you to, to pray this same prayer. Nothing magical about this prayer. But what it is, it gives voice to hopefully what is in your heart that says, I want to be forgiven. And I know the only way for me to be forgiven is by faith in Christ. If you would like to experience Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Let us pray. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner and in need of a deliverer. I need forgiveness for having failed to love you with all my heart, soul, and mind, and for failing to love others the way I love myself. I know that my sins have alienated me from you and others. I want you to deliver me from my sinful self-centeredness. I desire a truly loving relationship with you as my father and others as my brothers and sisters in Christ. I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone as the only one who can save me from my sins. Amen. I hope that... uh, 
if you are here and uh, you uh, had never trusted in Christ before, that you prayed that prayer. Uh, This is not a one opportunity and done. If you still haven't prayed that prayer, I hope that God will wrestle with you and not give you rest. And, you know, at home this afternoon, you can offer a prayer. It doesn't have to be this. But you can pray and ask God to forgive you. And he will. For Jesus Christ came into the world to save us from our sins. Trust in Jesus. That's the Christmas story and Christmas message. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we do ask for your spirit to strive with each and every one that is here. And if there is someone who has not yet placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that you would not give them any rest until they do. We thank you for the incredible love that you have shown towards us in sending your son to die for us. Oh Lord, may we understand how privileged we are to be able to believe in him, to have a new relationship with God, desiring that he'd be honored and glorified through our lives and seeking to be a blessing to others. Oh Lord, we desire that greatly in us. Change us, transform us into the image of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the great promise of Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passing away, and behold, all things are becoming new. We look forward to that day in which Lord Jesus returns, and when he does, that we will be complete without sin, and this world will be transformed. Lord, we look forward to that day, but I pray that we'll be prepared for that day, having placed our faith and trust in Jesus now. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.